Glad that you're here. If you are a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us. I'm sitting over here on this side, and it seemed, I think 150 kids went out this door. I'm not kidding, like the line never ended. Um, which means you need to thank those adults that are back there working with those kids during Bible Hour. We appreciate the service that those uh, ladies and men uh, do every single week uh, back there serving so that our kids can have something kind of geared for them and that we can kind of be able to concentrate in here as well. We are still in the middle of our sermon series on family. And we are actually going to spend one more week inside this series talking about marriage. I wasn't sure if this was going to be like a, a three-week thing on marriage, but it ends up it's going to be four weeks. And I realize, again, that there's an awful lot of people here who aren't married, an awful lot of people here maybe who aren't married anymore, people who don't want to be married don't want to stay married, don't want to talk about marriage, don't want to think about marriage. I get that. You know, We don't want to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it for one more week. And I hope the things that we've been talking about these last few weeks, as well as today, I hope they are, and I think they're pretty applicable to you wherever you are in your life. You know, we all have relationships. And I think some of the things that we've talked about and we'll talk about today are things that you can kind of apply to, to about any relationship, but we're, we're looking through the lens of marriage. So Regardless of your Facebook status, I, uh, I hope that you get something out of today's lesson. And for the past several weeks, we've sort of been asking the question, how do you make marriage work? How do you make it last? How do you make it great? We talked about the fact that the falling in love is really easy to do. Staying in love takes some work. So this morning, I want to talk about a decision that every single person that's in any kind of a relationship makes, but especially a decision that someone in a marriage makes. And you make this decision all the time. It's a choice that you have to make. Some of you make it every single day. And you might not even know that you're making this decision. You might not even know that you have a choice to make, maybe subconsciously or maybe disconsciously, but, but you're making a choice all the time. And the choice that you make has a great deal to do with the relationship that you're in and the marriage that you're, you're experiencing because we all want that great marriage, right? In fact, I keep telling you, we all kind of expected that. When we stood at the, you know, in front of the altar and we said, I do, we kind of expected our marriage to be great, even though we know that a lot of marriages aren't great. We all sort of expected that. That's what we want. We're kind of wired that way. This choice that we're going to talk about is a choice that you gladly made when you were falling in love. In fact, it was really easy when you were falling in love. But as you stay married for a while, maybe you start to choose a little bit differently. This morning we're going to go back and look at a passage that we used to really kick off this sermon series, back in 1 Corinthians 13. You can go ahead and be open to 1 Corinthians 13. You remember a month ago we began this thing by talking about dating Remember those of you who are in, in, in that season of life, remember how fun that was, right? Talking about dating. Spent a week talking about dating and a month talking about marriage. We probably should have switched that around. But, but when we were in 1 Corinthians 13, we read through a lot of that chapter, but we didn't read all of it. In fact, if you remember, I told you, hey, you're smart, read the rest of it. We're not going to read the whole thing. So we read some of it, but we didn't read all. In fact, there was one verse that I skipped. 
One verse that I passed over, didn't read, didn't even mention. And there's a couple reasons why I skipped it a month ago. One, I thought there was a chance I might come back and, and spend a whole lot more time on that verse. But the main reason I skipped it a month ago was the verse contains some advice that's really kind of tough and really kind of difficult. You know, we read 1 Corinthians 13, and for the most part, we're right on board. Yeah, 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 that's good advice, that's great. You know, it sounds great at a wedding ceremony. Got it, got it, got it. Thank you for reminding me, Paul. Got it. But there's one verse, especially one phrase in one verse, that a lot of people would probably say, you know, if you really stop and think about what that verse is saying, I'm not sure I agree with it. We read over the whole thing, and you know, we don't even really think about it, but when we pull out one verse, if I really think about what those phrases are saying, I'm not sure that's good advice. In fact, I bet a lot of you, myself included, have at times given people exactly the opposite advice of what Paul is going to give us in this verse. So, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's going to give us some really practical strategy for making love last. And he's going to use four different words. And he's going to put those four different words uh, together to make kind of a, a principle, a thought. And again, you're going to think, I'm not sure that's good advice. You might be a little bit skeptical, but we'll get to it. 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's talking about what love is and what love does. And I want to begin by going back and looking at the part of the list that we already talked about a month ago, kind of get us on the same page. I'm going to start in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul's going to get into this list. Like I said, for the most part, we're right on board with them. Love is patient. Yeah, got that. In fact, we talked about that. Love is kind. Check. Does not envy. Okay, got that. Does not boast. It's good. I don't want to be that arrogant husband. Is not proud. Certainly pride has a lot of things that we need to be on guard about. Is not rude. Good. I'm with you, Paul. Is not self-seeking. Sure, you know, need to be focused on other people. Is not easily angered. Okay, I get it. You know, I'm not always great at it, but I get it. Um, keeps no record of wrongs. Another kind of difficult one, but we understand. You know, I don't need to keep bringing things up that happened in 1984. Uh, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Got it. Check. Great advice. Thank you, Paul. And then Paul gets to verse 7. And verse 7 is the tough one. Here's what he says in verse 7. Here's what he does. He takes one word, always. And he's going to use that one word four times. Always, 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 always. And he's going to put that word always together with four other words. And yeah, we could pull those out and, and, and talk about each separately, but I think there's a reason that Paul worded it this way. Paul was a great writer. Of course, the Holy Spirit had a part in it as well. But I think Paul is trying to share with us a significant thought here in verse 7. Here's what he says. Here's the verse. It, talking about love, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Maybe you've learned it this way, older versions. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, you read that one phrase, believes all things, or always trusts. Love 
always trusts. Love believes all things. And the skeptic in me says, wait a minute. Are you telling me I'm supposed to believe all things even if there's evidence to the contrary? Are you telling me I'm supposed to believe all things? It kind of makes it sound like love is blind. You know, the skeptic in me says, I'm not sure that's great advice. Paul says that love believes all things, that love always trusts. And I'm going to admit to you, I have often given people just the opposite advice. Now, hey, you need to wake up and smell the coffee sometimes. Now, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. But I think Paul's trying to communicate an invaluable principle here. And rather than do it with a word or a phrase, he does it with four words. So what's the principle? What is Paul trying to teach us and tell us and share with us in verse 7? And before we kind of get into that, let me, let me tell you something that you already know. In every marriage, every relationship for that matter, but in every marriage there's a gap between expectations and behavior. Every time, every relationship. There's a gap between what we expect and what actually happens. I expected you to do this, but you did that. I expected you to be here at 5 o'clock, and it's 5.45 and you haven't texted, and I don't know where you are. I expected you to pay all the bills, and I just got a call from the bank. No, I expected you to keep your promise, but you didn't keep your promise. In every relationship especially love relationships, especially marriages, there's a gap. A gap between what's promised and a gap between how your spouse actually responds, how they behave. You were supposed to pick the kids up after school, but you didn't pick the kids up after school. You said you were going to help out more around the house, but you're not helping out anymore around the house. You said you were going to do this. I expected you to do this. But you didn't do this. And maybe it's not something that we're even promised. You know, you might be thinking, well, in my parents' marriage, my mom always did this for the family, and I just kind of expected you to do this for our family as well. Or when I look at my parents, you know, my dad always did these things. I kind of expected you, the man of the house, to kind of do those same things, but you're not doing those things. I'm expecting one thing, but something else is happening. Now, here's the choice that you have to make. So you have a choice to make, and you make it all the time whether you know it or not. And the choice is, what are you going to put in that gap? And there's a couple things that you can put in that gap. It's a choice. You can choose to believe the best, or you can choose to assume the worst every time. Every time there's a gap, we have a choice to make. Am I going to believe the best? Or am I going to assume the worst? And by the way, you know this is true because you know which way your spouse usually leans on this. It's hard to see it in ourselves. But I guarantee you, if you ask your spouse, which way do I usually lean? Do I usually believe the best or do I usually assume the worst? They have an answer for that. Because you have an answer for your spouse, right? You know how your wife usually behaves, what she usually does. You might not admit it, and you might not want to have that conversation. But, you know, you can ask at lunch today, hey, do I usually believe the best? Or I, do I usually assume the worst? Or, or don't have that conversation. I don't know. But we do. I mean, we, we do one of those things. 
we either believe the best or we assume the worst. And I want to talk about that for just a little bit this morning because the decision's yours. Nobody makes it for you. You're the one who's going to decide how I'm going to fill that gap. Am I going to believe the best or am I immediately going to go somewhere else and assume the worst? Now, we either, we either uh, do this. We either believe the best. Well, I, I know she's late, but boy, she's had a lot of things going on this week. No, she's spinning a lot of plates. The kids have been really stressful. Yeah, she's, she's half an hour late, but something must have come up. And I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Or we do this. I can't believe that she's late again. She never pays attention to time. She's such a space cadet. She, she has a watch. She has a phone. I guarantee she's sitting on the couch watching Property Brothers. She's supposed to be here. We naturally assume the worst. And we begin to develop an attitude toward this thing. We start to develop an attitude about what we put in the, in the gap. We easily say, okay, um, I'm going to believe the best. You know, we're trying to stay in a budget, and there's a lot going on this month, and we've had some unexpected expenses, and I know that those small things kind of add up, and, and I know he didn't realize how fast that was adding up. Or we assume the worst. He's terrible with money. His daddy was terrible with money. I'm sure his granddad was terrible with money. He spends it like it's coming, you know, like on, on trees. And I'm the one scrambling around trying to keep us one step ahead of the poorhouse. And as soon as he gets home, I'm showing him this bill and I'm showing him this bank statement. We have a choice to make. We either believe the best or we assume the worst. Something goes in that gap. And of course, there's some things that affect what goes in that gap. Now, part of the things that affect what goes in that gap is, well, we have a history. I know what he's done before. I know how she has responded before. You know, he's always late picking up the kids. Or she never pays the mortgage on time, even though it's due the first of every month. Now, the date never changes for 30 years. How can she forget that? No, our, our past history has an effect on what goes in the gap there. But not just our history you know, with, with that person. The things that have shaped us affects what we put in the gap. Now, I talked about last week, we all come into this thing with baggage. We all come into this thing with, you know, we got the blue marbles and the green marbles, and, and that's kind of who we are, and you know, that's just part of who, who we've become. You had parents, maybe great, maybe not so great. But what they did in their marriage affects the expectations for your marriage. Maybe past marriages, maybe past relationships. Those things that, um, that you've seen or experienced before, before you even got to this marriage, those things affect, sometimes infect, uh, the relationship that you're in. Things that we've seen and the things that have shaped us kind of help direct what we put in that gap. But let me ask you a question. Do you tend to go this way? Do you tend to, I'm going to believe the best in my spouse. Or do you tend to go this way? I'm going to assume the worst about my spouse. As soon as you get the text, I'm going to be late again. 
As soon as you get the voicemail, I can't pick up the kids. As soon as you get the email, I stayed too late at my sister's, you know, I'm not going to be home on time, can pick something up and bring it. As soon as you see there's a gap appearing, where do you go? Where do you go when there's a gap? And I look around and I see on your faces that you're dying for five seconds of rebuttal, right? I know you are. Uh, Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I know you're thinking, hey, Tim, can I come up there and talk about my wife for a minute? Give me five minutes to talk about what really happens. Can I come up and talk about my husband for a minute? Because your cool little PowerPoint's nice on Sunday mornings. But let me tell you what happens on Thursday afternoon. He never does it. She always does this thing. Can I come up and share my sad story? No, you can't. (laughs) And I'll tell you why you can't. Because whatever sad story you have, I can tell one sadder. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I live in this space. Anybody in ministry, anybody that deals with couples, we kind of live in this space. And I have heard such sad, sad stories about the gaps between expectations and realizations, the gap between expectations and behavior. And I'm not making light of that, and I'm not uh, being naive, and I'm not being insensitive. I'm just saying that I believe there's a principle involved here that Paul is trying to teach us. And I really think no matter where you are in your marriage, no matter what's going on, I think if we could get a grasp on this principle, it would so change our marriages. I'm really convinced of that. So let me ask the question again. Where do you go? Where do you go when there's a gap between expectations and behavior? Here's what I... I kind of want you to hear this morning. People who are in love, people who have been in love and are staying in love, people whose marriage is getting better and deeper and richer, people in that kind of situation always believe the best in their spouse. They do. They choose to fill that gap by believing the best. Maybe out of intuition or force of habit or just sheer force of will. They have chosen to believe the best in each other. All couples have gaps between expectations and behaviors. All couples have these gaps. But when you find a couple that's been married for 10, 20, 50 years and they're still crazy in love, I guarantee they're believing the best in each other. They're giving each other the benefit of the doubt. So where do you go? Where do you naturally go? Do you go negative or do you choose to believe the best? And again, it's your decision. Nobody can make that decision for you. And let me say this about assuming the worst. When you assume the worst, in your spouse, you might be right every single time. You might be right about what he's done or what she hasn't done every single time. You might be able to put them in their place. In fact, after a while, you kind of start looking for them to be wrong. You kind of like it when your spouse messes up because it gives you another chance to be right. 
Told you so. I knew it. I knew it. I knew not to trust you. I knew you wouldn't do that. And we sort of start celebrating the fact that they messed up. When two people continually make a choice to assume the worst, you get into a cycle that's really hard to get out of. If you've got a husband and a wife who have just fallen into the habit of, I'm going to assume the worst in my spouse, you will get into a tailspin that is really, really difficult to pull out of. Again, we start looking for it. And we kind of start celebrating it. And you're thinking that you're winning an argument. And maybe you are. And you're thinking that you're making a point, And maybe you are. And you're thinking that you're putting them in their place. And maybe you are. But what you're doing is destroying the greatest relationship that God's given you here on this earth. Seriously hurting your marriage. And it's a choice that we make. So, so what do we put in the gap? Now, through that lens, let's go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7 again. Paul says this, talking about love. Love always protects. What's it protect? It protects the integrity of the relationship. I am protecting, if we're talking about marriage in the context of marriage, I'm protecting my marriage. I'm looking to put something in the positive column. I'm not looking to put something in the negative column. I'm looking for the good things in this marriage. I'm not looking for the bad things in this marriage. I'm trying to build my spouse up. And I'll say this, kind of a, kind of a side note. Women, wives, do not complain or put your husband down in public. Don't do it. Husbands, never, never, never... <laughs> Never put your wife down in public. Look for the good in the situation. Protect the integrity of the relationship. Love always trusts. Love looks for an explanation that shows that you believe in them. Or believes all things. That's what Paul said. He said it for a reason. Love looks for reasons to, to say, I, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I believe you. Always hopes. I have high hopes there's a good explanation. I have high hopes that there's something going on that I don't know about. I'm not giving up hope on this relationship. Always perseveres. Always looks for the good. Always sticks with it. Never gives up. How are you doing with that? What are you putting in the gap? And again, have you and your spouse gotten into a cycle? It's an important question. Have you gotten into a cycle of believing the best? Or have you kind of fallen into a cycle of assuming the worst? Because when you assume the worst, even if you're justified, even if you've got plenty of history to back it up, when you assume the worst, you are contributing to the demise of that relationship. I guarantee it. It's, it's taking a brick out of that wall. No, 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 wait, you don't understand. You don't know my story. I don't have to know your story. I've heard lots of stories. I've got my own story. You know, marriage is hard. And marriage takes work. Everybody has a story. Every relationship has gaps. And I know that every time you choose to go negative, justified or not, when you choose to assume the worst in your spouse, 
when you express that in your attitude, in your words, in your text, in your, you know, your phone call, your you know, email, your body language, you know, you start tapping that knee and leg and, and rolling the eyes and get that neck thing going. When you are communicating that, I am assuming the worst here, you are contributing to the demise of that relationship. And let me tell you something about the person that you're married to. You might not believe this, but it's true. The person that you're married to does not want to disappoint you. I don't care where your marriage is. I don't care what you've gone through or what you're going through. The person that you're married to does not want to disappoint you because we don't want to disappoint the people that we're in a relationship with. Nobody wants to disappoint someone that we're in a relationship with. But here's what happens. When you choose to go negative, when you choose to assume the worst about your spouse, what you are communicating is, is no matter what you do, it's not going to be good enough. No matter how hard you try, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to work. You're never going to meet the standard. You're never going to live up to my expectations. And every time you communicate that, no matter how you do it, whether you scream it or you know, give them the cold shoulder, give her the cold shoulder, give them the cold shoulder, whether you, you whisper it you know, overtly or, or subtly, every time you assume the worst, you push your spouse away a little bit. Every time there's a gap and you go negative, you assume the worst, you're pushing your spouse away a little bit. Because believe it or not, no matter what they say, they don't want to disappoint you. They don't want to disappoint you. And after a while, if they know she's going to go negative, he's going to go negative, I don't want to send the text. i got a great reason why I didn't do what I said I'd do, but boy, I know as soon as I send the text, as soon as I make the call, she's just going to assume the worst. Of course, in your mind, you're thinking, hey, if you want to quit disappointing me, do what I expect, right? I mean, that's kind of our natural response. Hey, you want to close the gap? You want to, you want to put something together? Here's what you do. You uh, just do what I ask you to do. Do what I expect you to do. Let's close the gap, okay? Do what you say you'll do. Do what I expect you to do. Come on, jump higher, perform. Get it right. Do it right. That's not how you eliminate disappointment. And this is so counterintuitive to what we think. You don't eliminate disappointment by saying, okay, we're going to get to a point where there is no gap. Because there's always a gap. Here's how you eliminate disappointment. It's a powerful, powerful thing. And I think it really has an effect on our marriages. You put that in the gap. Because there's always gaps. There's always going to be a, a, a gap between what we expect and what actually happens. But when we choose to believe the best in our spouse, even if he doesn't exactly deserve it, even if she doesn't exactly deserve it, when we choose to communicate to our spouse, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt on this one. You know, I love you, and I'm, I'm going to believe the best. When we communicate that, something happens. I'm telling you, people respond to that. There's something in our hearts that we are drawn to acceptance. We are drawn to people 
who give us the benefit of the doubt. We are drawn to people who we know are on our side and want us to succeed. And you know that's true because that's why you fell in love in the first place. Remember when you first started dating? Wow, she, she thinks I'm funny. She thinks I'm handsome. She thinks I'm better than I am. No, he thinks I'm, you know, all these things. He's, he thinks I'm better than I am. So we used to always put believe the best in the gap. But then after a while, we, we start rethinking that. But I think that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. I think Paul's saying it's kind of what love does. Love believes all things. I don't think he would have said it if he didn't mean it. Love always trusts. And when I communicate that to my spouse, that says something about what I think about our relationship and what I think about our marriage. Yeah, there are gaps in every relationship. And you can actually use those gaps to draw you closer together. You can actually use those gaps to be drawn closer together or you can use those gaps to push each, push each other farther apart. And let me say this before everybody meets me in the foyer out here. <laughs> I am not saying that you don't confront the realities of the situation. I'm not saying that there are not some really difficult conversations that you're going to have to have. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying there aren't things that you're going to have to work through. You have to roll up your sleeves and you know, get at it. And work and, and, and sacrifice and all those things. I understand that. All I'm saying is, if you choose to believe the best, in your spouse. After you have those hard conversations, in fact, while you're having those hard conversations, you are communicating something to them. And what you're communicating is, I want this thing to last. We're in this thing together. And I fell in love with you for a reason. And I believe the best in you. And I want the best for us. And I'm willing to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things and endure all things. I'm willing to trust you. Yeah, we're going to deal with it. We're going to have the hard conversations. But I'm willing to trust you. You know, Jesus said it sort of uh, the same thing, but a little bit differently. Jesus said, do to others as you'd have them do to you. We call it the golden rule, Right? Some of us learned that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What if you decided that you were actually going to live that out in your marriage? What if you were to decide, I am going to treat my wife the way I want my wife to treat me? I'm going to treat my husband the way I want my husband to treat me. In fact, what if there was no other thing in the Bible about marriage or relationships but that? What if that's all there was? That's all we have to go by. What if there were no books written on marriage? What if every counselor you went to said, well, do to others you'd have them do to you? you know, 150 bucks. <laughs> what if that's the only advice you ever got? Treat your spouse the way you want your spouse to treat you. Would it be good advice? I think it would. Would it be enough? I think it would. I think Paul is trying to say basically the same thing. He's just using a lot more words. We've got to bear all things. We've got to believe all things. You can do that. It'll change your marriage, I'm telling you. You know, I struggled with this lesson about how to, how to present this because I got so excited about it. Now, this is such good information. And I thought, but boy, I'm not going to be able to 
communicated at all. But I'm telling you, you look at marriages that have worked for a long time, people that are more and more in love, and I will guarantee they believe the best in each other. And they want the best for each other. Yeah, gaps are always going to be there. Gaps are always going to form. She's going to have forgotten to do something, and he's going to you know, back out on something that he said. But every time that happens, every time you get the text, every time you walk in the door and realize something didn't get done, you've got a choice to make. Am I going to believe the best? Or am I going to assume the worst? And I'm telling you, if you can learn, again, force yourself to believe the best, it'll change marriage. It'll change marriage. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Come back next week. We're going to start talking about some other things about family, some other uh, dynamics of family. All you married people are going to amen. I'll be back next week. I'll bring my spouse next week. Um, but for this morning, what are you choosing? What are you choosing to put in that gap? What you choose will affect your marriage in tremendous ways. And Neil's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. If there's anything on your heart or on your mind that you need to share with the family here, let's be some people down at the front. You can meet us there, and we'll do what we can. Let's stand and sing.